Praise the Lord. Aaron and I and the India team, we just got back last night. I'll turn it down again, no feedback here. And uh, we had a wonderful time on the India missions field, right, India team? Yeah, there's a handful of people from ETL1 that went up with us to the India trip, and uh, we had just uh, such an amazing time. And um, you know, a lot of people were saying that this was the best missions trip ever. Uh, people who've been on several trips were just expressing uh, how much joy we had and how much fruit we saw on the trip. Uh, I also heard from Pastor Marcus, because uh, he's crashing at our place right now, and uh, he took a... A good chunk of time to share with us about the General Santos trip in the Philippines. And they just got back this past uh, Tuesday. And they also had amazing time. Yeah, a delightful and amazing time. And uh, they saw all kinds of fruit, all kinds of power and signs and wonders. And uh, if you want to hear a more detailed uh, account of that, be sure to check out the Friday Fire podcast. Hey, turn it down a little, down, a little more. Uh, be sure to check out the Friday Fire podcast and also today's message at Hillside. Uh, Pastor Miohua shared her perspective of the General Santos trip just briefly, and it was uh, it was just so amazing. It was so amazing. Um, sounds like y'all, y'all had a y'all had a blast. Um, in India team, we also had an amazing time, and I want to give our sister Susie. All right, she she is going to give. A little testimony of her time and her perspective. So let's welcome our sister Susie. Come on. What up? Just to let you know, I only had like five minutes to think about this. So I could be outwardly processing right now. Um, I, yo, it, it was really fun. <laughs> Okay, I had so much fun. I mean, I, I had really a lot of fun um, in the summertime when I went um, to Jakarta, Indonesia. God was doing a lot of work in my own heart. So, I mean, I remember when I went there, uh, I thought that I would go and, you know, do all this ministry to other people, but I just felt like I was ministering to my heart more. And so that was really amazing. And on this trip uh, to India, uh, it was just another level. It was just another level of ministering to me and then also just using me uh, to pour out uh, God's love. And um, let's see, where to begin? So I just got to say, man, like God has such a big heart. Like God has such a big heart and he really knows how to like love just just anyone and everyone. And I think that God used, uh, he kind of gave me glimpses towards the beginning just of his heart for every um, individual, like from little children to older grandmothers, you know, everybody. And I didn't know that I could really love like that before I went on this trip because uh, I didn't really have that many friends like that were Indian before. <laughs> And, you know, they, they, it's, it's just different. And so I just didn't know that I could ha- my heart would just go towards them, but I was surprised at myself. And I just, any kid that I saw, I was like, oh, my gosh, they're so gorgeous. And I would just run to them, and I'll pick them up, and I'll play with them. And, and I really loved their heart. Like, they were so, um, they received me, they loved me back, they played with me, you know. And, and I was just so amazed. And 
And uh, I learned a lot just from that, the interaction I had um, with the children. And um, I think some people, like, if it's hard for you to, to love, um, you know, other people groups or whatever, spend time with children. I think you could learn a lot. Like, there's a lot of wisdom uh, that come out of children. And, um, yeah, so I, I got a glimpse of God's heart um, in that sense, uh, just experiencing God's love. Um, and what else? Oh, and, um, you know, I, I prayed right before the trip. I was like, okay, you know, we, we think about some of the expectations that we want to see, like, God do in us or through us. And I was asking God, um, I, I want to uh, just move more prophetically recognize when I'm moving in that way, and then also to see uh, healing. And it was really cool that God uh, just did all that I wanted and expected. And um, and actually, like, it's just interesting, because I kind of already knew, actually, before I, I went, that God was just going to use me to um, release healing. Um, but, like, right before the trip, I would say that uh, there was a, a, a moment where I got really, really rocked, like discouraged, like just like the day before, and I and I got really um, drained, and I and it's it kind of takes a lot for me to get to that point. It takes a lot for me to get uh, just really rocked, but um, I did, and then I knew that because I was being affected the way that I was, and it was just so like sudden that I knew that I was like a threat to the enemy, that I was just gonna bring it, you know, and take dominion. So. Um, yeah, so what happened was uh, there were, the, well, interesting thing was, you know, we had altar time ministry where we ministered and um, and then Pastor Christian or, or Aaron, she would ask like, okay, anyone have a word of knowledge about, you know, different physical healings that we want to release onto the people? And um, God had showed me an image of a woman that was like kind of like bent over a little bit. And I was just like, Okay, but at that time when I was thinking it, I started kind of like, really? Really? Like just kind of getting all mixed up in my head. Um, <clears throat> and so that night, uh, I I didn't really see that happen at that moment, but it was okay because I was just like, it's all right, God. Like if this is what you want to do, you do your thing with other people. Um, but I mean, I saw that image, but I didn't really see it happen through me, but it's okay. And then two days passed, and then I met, uh, we were just all resting right before one of our revival services. And I was just sitting there on a bench, and I was playing with this one uh, little girl that I really love. Her name's Anna. I, like, miss her, like, thinking about it right now. But, um, yeah, so I was just chilling with her, and we were playing. And then all of a sudden, there's like uh, there was um, this mother. Her name's Martha. And she had a baby that she had, like, two months ago. Her, uh, the baby's name was Joshua. And then um, one of... Was it her sister? Yeah, her sister. Anyway, the three of them came to me. And, you know, we're just talking whatnot. And, you know, I'm just chilling. And, and then, but she, um, like, takes me aside. And she's like, hey, can you pray for me? Um, my, my back kind of hurts after giving birth. And I was like, all right, sure. And, um, and I was like, okay, tell me the specific region uh, where your, you know, your back's hurting. And she's like, oh, my upper and lower. So, you know, I just put my hands on, you know, both of... Um, the upper and lower back, and then I just asked God, very simple, like, God, I ask that you would heal her upper and lower back in Jesus' name. It was really simple. It really was. And then she's just, I was like, okay, we're done. Why don't you test it out? And so she did. She said, oh, 
my my upper back feels better. Uh, but she's like, oh, but my lower back, there's still like some pain. And I was just like, oh, that's okay. We'll do it again. And so I, I, um, you know, I was like, okay, God, I thank you that, you know, you, uh, or I asked that you would heal her completely, that you would restore her health right now, right now, in Jesus' name. And so, again, just very simple. And then she tested it out. She like she said that before she couldn't bend all the way down. Like whenever she did work and different things like that, it would affect her. But she said, "Oh my gosh, I don't feel any pain anymore." And then she got healed. You know. Um, so that that was amazing, um, and that totally just encouraged my heart a lot. And uh, uh, just to see like like her light up that you know god could touch her in that way and that god loved her so much uh to um you know give her that healing and so it was really encouraging for me and then uh what else happened oh and then like i had other people that came up to me and asked too um and there was another grandmother uh that came up that had lower uh back pain as well and so i ended up um i prayed for her as well and i was like god just you know i thank you that you love this woman i thank you uh, that you want to heal her and i just ask that you would encourage her through this healing you know encourage her heart that that you love her so much and at first like she kind of she was like oh it's a little bit better you know after i prayed for her but but then i just pressed in like i didn't really give up just because i didn't see it right then and there and so as i pressed in and i was just like okay come on god you know just encourage her in that way and then she got healed too amen, amen. <laughs> um so that that was really cool. Like just just seeing people uh, just get touched with God's love. That God, you know, just whatever it is that God, uh, you know, just loves them and wants to heal them in that way. And um, oh, and I'll share one more story of, of healing. Um, there was there was this one like teenage girl. Uh, she was waiting when like because everybody was busy praying for everybody else and different things like that. But um, I just ended up being free at that moment. And she came up to me and she's like, hey, can you pray? I have like a lump <clears throat> in my um, mouth. And I was like, okay. And I didn't see it or anything, but she said it was just like on the inside. And she said it was like hurting her a lot. And I was like, all right, um, I'll, I'll pray for you. And And I was like, Okay, and and I just did the same thing, you know, and I just kind of sensed what the Lord was trying to do, and and um, at first, like, I was like, after I prayed, I asked her, I was like, do you feel any different, you know? And she was just like, no, still the same. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And then I kind of, um, you know, the Holy Spirit revealed to me at that time, like I saw the word uh, bitterness, and I was like, and so I asked her, you know, um, do you have any bitterness towards anyone and then and then she was just like yeah and i was like okay and uh i was like and then right then and there i also saw like um do you talk badly about that person are you like kind of saying nasty stuff that kind of thing and then she was like yeah and i was like okay this is good that you're admitting. And so I kind of led her through a time of just repenting of that. And um, and then I kind of felt like her healing wasn't going to be released through me. But uh, I looked over, and then I saw this, like, little cute, really cute little girl. She was like, I don't know, three? And um, I just called her over, and I was like, oh, come here. And then she came, and um, 
just had the little girl put her hands on uh, the area of the mouth or that region. And then uh, I just had that little girl repeat after me the same prayer that I prayed the other times where I just said, Jesus. And she's like, Jesus. <laughs> like, um, I asked that you would heal my sister. And then she was I asked that you would heal. <laughs> it was so cute. And, um, and, <laughs> and that was it. It was just really simple. But she said it. And then I just came into agreement. And then I asked that girl to test it out. And she just said, oh, my gosh, like, there's no more pain. And and that lump's, like, gone now. Like, she she was just really shocked at that. All right, amen. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was really cool. And, oh, I, I have another last, okay, really, really last one. That was really cool. But I'm not sure about this one. But I'm just kind of pressing in faith that it's going to happen. But there was a girl, uh, a, a different girl that came up to me and asked to pray for one of her friends who was like, uh, he had cancer. He was like on his deathbed. He had like sores on his body, like all these like just like crazy different things that were um, happening to him. And I was like, okay, I'll pray with you and I'll come into agreement with you that he's going to be healed like where he's at right now. And I didn't like, you know, I did that and I didn't really think much of it. But last night I was talking to uh, one of my uh, prayer supporters and then also uh, and they were Skyping with another person that also had supported me uh, on this mission trip. And she asked, did you raise the dead? And I was like, spiritually, sure, you know, but I was like, physically, I don't know. And then right then was when I thought of that person that I had, um, that was in the hospital or somewhere else. And, um, and so I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure if, if it actually happened, but I'm actually just believing that it did, that if there was a time where he, like, cause he was seriously in a serious condition, um, I'm just really believing that, you know, that that was for him. And that it really, that he did get healed even though he wasn't present in the room. And that it is possible, like no matter where you are, that it doesn't matter like that they're not at the revival service. Like you can still believe that God can touch them because God is everywhere. And so um, that, like I would like to like find out about that to see if it really happened. I'm not sure how it would go about it because, yeah, I don't know. Um, but I'm going to try and see because that would be really awesome. Like really awesome that it that God does raise the dead, not just spiritually, but physically. So God did so many supernatural things uh, through me. You know, I was just really encouraged um, to see God's heart for India and just for people. And um, it's just possible through anyone, okay? Because if you know my past, there's just certain things I've gone through that, you know, I wouldn't have thought back then that I would be where I'm at now and going on these missions trips with New Philly and, you know, releasing a healing and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, God could use anybody. And God could use you. God could use little children. So thanks for praying for all of us. And, uh, yeah, I hope you go on the next one. <laughs> all right, thanks. Thank you, Susie. I turn down the monitors. Hey, go on the, uh, hop on the New Philly fan page and then give me a screenshot of the article that I posted there. Okay. Um, thank you, Sister Susie. All right. That was, uh, 
Susie's perspective of the trip, and uh, man, she was just like this all-star healing evangelist, just going around evangelizing and healing everywhere. It was uh, it was such a such a joy to see um, Susie really stepping out in that way. And actually, there were there were just uh, a lot of Itaewon people that went on this trip, and um, our sister Diana Suck and brother Mark, uh, they led worship for us for three-night revival that we had. And so the first night of the revival is very conservative church. They're used to singing hymns, you know. And so, you know, you know, we sang God is so good and we heard some of them singing that. But then when we started shifting to more praise songs, like nobody was singing the first night. And so Mark, you know, was really discouraged, you know. And, and you know, he was just like, you know, it's, I think he said, like, there's nothing more discouraging than, you know, uh, have pa- passionately leading worship and having nobody praise and respond. But, you know, we kind of spoke life into him and said, you know, no, you did a great job. You know, we keep pressing in. You know, our church core value is be extravagant in worship. You know, and that core value is not just for us to carry, but it's for us to spread that kingdom culture value, you know. And so we believed and trusted that if we pressed in that, you know, God would establish that among the uh, the people there. And uh, we actually didn't work with uh, Indian Indians. Like, you know, like, like Indian Indians. <laughs> like... We worked with um, a remnant of people in India called the, the Kuki people, K-U-K-I. They're called the Kuki people. And in the northeast region of India, there are three main ethnic groups uh, along the border of uh, where Myanmar, Nepal, you know, along that northeast area. Uh, there's three major ethnic groups. One of them is called the Nagas. The other one's called the Metes. And the third group is called the Kukis. Now, the Kukis and the Nagas, they look very... Like Mongolian, they look very similar to like dark-skinned Koreans. You know, they they're like very Asian-looking. You know, and so um, uh, they live there, and that's the people that we work with, with the Kuki people uh, that are in Manipur in the northeast region of India. And uh, uh, yeah, Mark and Diana, they just kept pushing in. Second night, you know, they just pushed in and just kept leading worship more passionately and you could hear more people singing and they were watching our team worship so you know i encouraged the team the first night like the team wasn't really worshiping and i think that made mark more discouraged you know and uh you know why would we travel thousands of miles to come and let the people there set the atmosphere worship you know we have something going on here at new philly we need to take that and import it I mean, export it, I'm sorry, export it out into the nation. So, you know, uh, I encourage the team to really don't go with the flow. You set the flow. You set the atmosphere. So that second night, the team really took that to heart. And we praised our hearts out, even though the people still weren't singing. And they, they were watching us. You know, we knew that they were watching us. And it was doing something to them. So that by the third night of the final night of the revival, uh, when Mark and Diana led, the whole room, you can hear the whole room singing praises to God. And we got even a couple of hallelujah shouts here and there. <laughs> they got a hand went up, lifting up, you know, in praise. And, and so, you know, Mark and Diana, I was really proud of them. Just really just faithfully, steadfastly pushing in and establishing a new culture of extravagant worship there. You know, um, and uh, for me personally, I felt like God was really calling me, uh, uh, highlighting uh, that he was going to use our team to really establish, establish kingdom values, establish uh, certain revelation and truth 
through apostolic teaching and preaching. And so um, uh, I got to preach several times. Uh, Erin got to preach uh, one time on one of the three nights of the revival. And she did a fantastic job. Uh, The first night I preached, and we were getting massively attacked. And we didn't really cover ourselves very well. We weren't really prepared in prayer very well. So we went in, and uh, there was a spirit of fear that came on my translator. And so every time I, I, I would say something, like she would just freeze up and she'll just zone out. And I have to repeat myself. Or she will keep interrupting me because she was so fearful that she was going to forget my sentence that she would just interrupt me after like the third or fourth word. I mean, it is like the most frustrating thing, you know. I just could not get into a flow, you know. But I just took, the heart, took heart to the prophetic word that he was going to use my apostolic preaching and teaching to establish things. So I just went through with the whole message anyway, even though it took like an hour or whatever. We went through the whole message. I got all my points out and, and, and she translated that thing, you know. And, uh, but, you know, that first night we got a little bit, uh, a little bit beat up. Um, uh, but nevertheless, God was still good. We saw physical healings that first night. Uh, we did an altar call where people were getting uh, touched and um, people, like about a dozen people came up to do unforgiveness prayer. To forgive someone in their in their lives, and um, and it's a very conservative Baptist churches here, um, so you know it was it was uh, very new to them, but uh, they responded, and, uh, and when Aaron preached the second night, like she, she was, and we prayed for the translator because we felt like she had gotten so traumatized for the first first night that we made sure that we pray for her, we encourage her, we spoke life over her. Sister Krisha from the uh, Hillside campus, she just prophesied over the translator. And she just started crying and just saying that this is not who you are. Don't let the devil tell you otherwise. And, and, uh, and you could tell after the prayer that she was just like a whole new woman. And so she translated for, for Aaron. And um, she did an amazing job. Aaron did an amazing job. The translation was nice, flowing really well. I mean, the, the, the message was so good that people started spontaneously clapping in the middle of the message like four or five times. You know, like a state of the union address, you know, like people kiss, just kept clapping, you know, and I didn't get that once. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we have a different style of preaching, but uh, she, she was really preaching some really powerful stuff with identity. And afterwards, um, there are altar calls for people with depression, praying for that, uh, praying for people with fear, a lot of fear, uh, kind of bondage and issues. People came up for that, and the team went out, laid hands on people, and the Holy Spirit started laying them out on the ground. People started manifesting. Uh, some people started to manifest uh, demonically because the Holy Spirit started to expose different secret bondage and uh, spirit, evil, evil spirits that were causing their patterns to be very obsessive and compulsive. You know, uh, when you have obsessive and compulsive symptoms, oftentimes that's an indication that there are evil spirits making that issue a lot worse and causing you really have a hard time get, getting free from that and those are getting exposed and uh one thing we noticed was every night of the revival all three nights there were demonic manifestations going on at the altar and so i feel like god was also highlighting something and teaching us something for our future missions trips because one thing we need to understand is when god does something sovereignly something fresh something new sovereignly we have to understand that that is his invitation for us to uh, get a revelation of his nature and go out and do it intentionally. You know? Uh, like, if God starts doing physical healing at a church that never experienced physical healing, 
The wrong way to respond will be to say, oh, God sovereignly healed some people at our Sunday service last week. And I guess we'll have to wait until he sovereignly does it again the next time. That would be the wrong way to respond. When God does something sovereignly, we have to understand that is his invitation for us to understand an aspect of his nature that he revealed through that act. And then for us to go and step out with it and do it intentionally. Right. And so for the deliverance ministry, we just, I mean, we've seen here and there, we will see it like once or twice during a trip. But man, during this trip, it was every single night. You can't tell me it's just like the people of Manipur and the Kuki people are just demonically oppressed. No, they're demonically oppressed people everywhere. But during this particular trip, they were getting exposed. And what broke my heart was a lot of children, the people that were experiencing demonic possession phenomena, most of them were children. 8, 10, 12 years old. And they're on the ground, shaking, breathing, you know, crying. And so that really broke our hearts. And so all, like most of our team members was involved in some form of help doing trying to do deliverance ministry, you know. And, you know, when, when we have a revival service on a missions field, you know, you can't, you don't have the convenience to set up a three-hour healing and deliverance session, especially if there's a language and cultural barrier. You don't have that luxury. So what do you do, not help them, you know? No, we have to believe that there's a, a form of healing and deliverance that comes dramatically, that comes with authority and power, and I feel like God was really highlighting that through our India trip so that we can start to step into this new anointing uh, with more intention, you know. And, uh, you know, we got a glimpse of uh, this because the, there's a local pastor there named Pastor Stephen who is an apostle of that region. And uh, he actually, we were involved in uh, helping establish his new ministry called Apostolic Ministries. And so he just had a dedication service and he invited me to be the speaker and our team did a body worship and we really blessed him as he uh, had this inauguration service. And uh, as part of the dedication service, what they did was they showed a video of his ministry over the last like year or something. And uh, it was really funny because, you know, there's this Chris Tomlin song that kind of comes on. And then right away, the Chris Tomlin song fades out. And the first video footage is like some woman breathing on the ground like, Rah! like demonically possessed. And Pastor Stephen like... Going old school Pentecostal style, just like, ah, you are defeated by the blood of Jesus. I command you out. I command you out. And he starts like slapping her face, like, I command you out. Command you out. Command you out. You know, and it's like that old school, like aggressive, getting the, you know, in their face and just like, you know, and, uh, I know we don't do deliverance ministry like that here. And in some ways, we've judged that aspect of deliverance ministry. But there's something that the Pentecostals are doing that they're doing right. You know, and we need to understand that there's a time and a place where we need to press in with that type of deliverance anointing, you know. And I'll tell you a story right now. Uh, one of the things that really broke my heart but became a highlight for, for me during the trip was on the second night of the revival, Aaron preached the message and then people came forward. And there was a group of people that came forward for people that were struggling with fear. So I go up to this one girl. She was about 12 years old. Her name was Jajai. And I just went up and I just kind of put my hand on her head and whoosh, she goes down in the power of God, right? She's on the ground shaking and, and just, just, you know, convulsing and shaking. And um, a little bit later, I came back to her and I just kind of grabbed her hand. And I just started saying, Lord, I bless what you're doing. It's okay. It's okay. This is the Holy Spirit. The Lord is with you. Don't worry. 
She's just shaking. She's just shaking. I'm just like, don't worry. This is okay. Don't be scared. This is the Lord. This is the Lord. And then the translator comes over and she starts like praying more aggressively. I'm like, whoa, calm down. Calm down. Hey, wow. Why are you doing that? And she's like, I, I, I think this is bad. I'm like, no, no, no. I think this is good. Why don't you ask her? And so she asks uh, in the kooky language, is it good or bad? And the girl says, it's bad. And so I was like, oh, man, I missed it. <laughs> so we go from, oh, uh, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, to get out, devil, <laughs> get out. <laughs> and so I started, I started kind of, you know, I didn't go aggressive right away, but I started to really go after this demon because the moment we shifted to praying that way, this demon just started really taking over her body. And she just started getting really uh, very violent in her in manifestations. And so the translator and I start praying. And then uh, I told her to get her husband, which, who is Pastor Stephen. Pastor Stephen comes over and we kind of tag team. And we're praying. And he's doing like more the aggressive Pentecostal style. And starts grabbing her head and pushing it down. And then looking in her eyes. Get out! Get out! And, and you know, slapping her face. And... Uh, you know, I just kind of like just want to watch and see, you know, what would happen, you know. And uh, I was trying to help him out in that way. But, you know, we went about like 20, 30 minutes. And um, in my experience, 100% of the time, when I take authority over a demon and command it to stop manifesting, it stops. You know, I might have to say it maybe four or five times. But I have never had an experience where it doesn't stop. Well, this poor little girl, I tell her to stop like. 20 times and there's nothing she's still shaking the same way she's crying you know and i'm just my heart's breaking and pastor steven's you know going at it and nothing's happening you know and so whatever spirit was possessing her it was a very powerful you know very occultic like very evil spirit and um you know we're going at it and i just felt like you know she's gonna get traumatized if we just keep going at it like this so after about 20 minutes of this, I told Pastor Stephen, all right, all right, Pastor Stephen, it's okay, it's okay. All right. And then he just kind of calmed down. But he had his hand still on her head, gripping her head like a basketball. He was like, good. And I was like, Pastor, Pastor Stephen, it's okay, it's all right. I think, I think we should stop. Uh, well, I think we should, just, we should just stop. And then we kind of stopped and we watched her and she was still shaking. I got Diana stuck to come over and give her a hug. And even though she was hugging her, she was still shaking and crying because this demon just wouldn't let her go. And so... What was really sad was we had to go home. You know, they had to wrap up and close down the building. And so I had to send her home with her sister and mom. And she's still manifesting demonically. And she's, you know, and, and I'm just trying to assure her, give her hope and say, you know, don't worry. You're gonna, God's going to free you. There might be some steps you need to take. But, you know, don't worry. You know, talk to your pastor. You know, and I'm thinking, oh, I better talk to the pastor. Like, you know, make sure he's like equipped with a mini healing deliverance training or something, you know. And uh, I was trying to speak hope into her. But even as she, I, I was watching her walk home, man, she was just shaking the whole time. So the next day, I was scheduled to preach for the final night of the revival service. But when I was having my quiet time, the only thing I could think about, instead of asking the Lord, Lord, what should I preach on? What do you want to highlight? The only thing I could pray about was this girl, Jajai. And I was just like dealing with the Lord. Like, Lord, why, weren't, why didn't you set her free? Lord, what did I miss? Lord, what do I need to grow in? Uh, Lord, uh, set her free now. Lord, you know, be faithful and just set her free now and uh, all this stuff. And I just kept praying about that the whole time. 
And then an hour later, we get to the building to pray over the uh, building and pray together as a team. We get there, and there's Jajai with her mom. And so they take me aside and ask to have a word with me. So I go in the back, and I start asking them what happened. And then they begin to tell me the story that la- the previous night when Jajai went home manifesting, the whole family kind of, uh, her family and a few friends, they kind of sat around her in the living room while she was lying down and trying to get her to go to sleep. And while she's shaking there, they pray for her quietly. And as they were praying, Jajai said that two angels showed up and started to lift her up. And she just felt like she was like flying and floating and she just felt so much peace. And uh, she said she felt so good, she just didn't want it to end. And uh, I don't know how long this went on for, but when it, when it lifted, when it, end, when it ended, she, she woke up and the, and the demonic manifestations had ceased. And then it never came back. And then she just had a long, good, not long night's rest, woke up the next day and came out to see me. And, uh, and, uh, I, I kind of investigate it because, you know, we don't aim for just to set you free. We try to, we aim to keep you free. So, you know, I want to see if there are open doors still that we need to close. So she shared that she actually had enrolled in a Hindu school the previous year. And at the Hindu school, they forced you to do these Hindu prayers at the beginning of each day and things like that. And, uh, she had participated in these things because it was just kind of required for the school. And uh, she hadn't really properly covered herself or protected herself from those prayers. And so uh, I led her in a prayer just to kind of uh, repent of that. And she said she wanted to. So she repented and renounced that. And we just kind of closed that door to idolatry. And then she also uh, had lost her father to alcoholism about three years ago. Her father was abusing alcohol and uh, was being very bad and stuff like that. And um, he eventually ended up dying from, from just drinking too much alcohol. And so uh, she was angry with her father that he abandoned the family in that way. And so uh, I kind of encourage her at the revival service when it begins, I want you to pray to forgive your father. And I want you to release him from all of that anger and resentment you have toward him. You know? Uh, and so she understood that. And, uh, and, uh, and then we had the revival service. And then I went up, I preached uh, a a message on the baptism of the Spirit and on the gift of tongues. They had never heard a teaching on the gift of tongues. But you know what? My, many of y'all never heard a teaching on the gift of tongues before you came to this church. So I guess the man of poor people aren't that unique in that sense. But when they heard this message, because I asked the crowd, I just felt like the Lord highlighting that. Teach them the gift of tongues. Teach them the gift of tongues. You know, uh, I just felt like God wanted to really start to ignite their prayer uh, culture, the prayer movement of, of that region. And uh, that this gift is going to really empower them to start to pray and pray with authority and pray with boldness and spirit, pray spiritually. And so when I asked them, who speaks in tongues, who has this gift and who's exercising it? Only two people out of a crowd of 268, what was it, Eunice? 206, 283. Out of a crowd of 283, only two people had the gift of tongues. And there were plenty of uh, people that were with Pastor Stephen's ministry, so there were charismatic people there, right? But nobody was using this gift. Nobody had the gift. Nobody wanted a gift. Because previous American missionaries and people had come and they taught the opposite and said that it had ended and that this is from the devil and this is not good. And this is for people that are a little bit 
weird in the head, a little bit loose in the head, you know. So I come in, I bring this apostolic teaching, and I start start establishing, right, and teaching on the uh, on the praying uh, praying in tongues. And if you've heard my message, it's a good message, man. Y'all need to go back and hear it. It's the it's called a tongue talking church, uh, and I'll preach on it here and there at a Sunday swim. But um, I did that, and then we did an altar call. People start coming up, we're praying for people, people getting baptized in the spirit, people falling on the ground, people. People are convulsing, and um, but you know it's the Holy Spirit's work, and a lot of people start getting tongues and stuff. It was really cool, and uh, I'm praying for a bunch of fellows on the stage, and I look out the corner of my eye, and one of the team members I pray for Jajai, and she went down on the ground, and she's convulsing, and in the natural, it looks exactly the same as the previous night. So my heart starts to sink, and I'm like, oh man. Those doggone demons are back. You know? And so, I'm just like, I'm just kind of concerned and worried. But hopeful that instead it's the baptism of the Spirit. So I kind of go up to her. And, uh, and I asked her, you know, um, Jajai, Jajai, it's, it's me, it's me. Look, how are you feeling? Is this good or bad? Is this good or bad? And she immediately says, this is good. So I was like, amen. Jajai. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit touching you. He's filling you because he's got a purpose for you. The reason why he gave you this dramatic deliverance, oftentimes when, you know, oftentimes whenever God does a dramatic deliverance, right, and, and, and it gets like all, all demon possession, all that phenomenon happens, God does that for people that have a calling, that have a very, like, like even like a full-time ministry calling. People that have a very specific or powerful leadership type of calling, they get those kinds of experiences, so I kind of spoke life into her and I said, God's got a mighty purpose for you, Jajai. And, uh, and that's why he, he delivered you last night and that's why he's filling you tonight. You know, and then, um, and then she says, uh, but I feel like there's something that's going to come out of me. Like, I feel like there's something that's about to, it's like around here, it's about to come out of me. And I was like, oh no, the doggone demons again. <laughs> but then she goes, I feel like I need to say something, and, I, and but my my lips are like they're like they're like fluttering, and my lips they're trying to like say, I'm like that's the gift of tongues, girl. <laughs> I didn't say it like that, but I was like that's the gift of tongues. <laughs> and inside I was saying, you know, <laughs> uh, and then and I said, well, why don't you go sit down at that bench, and I want you to exercise this gift right now. I want you to just talk to God, pray to God. But you know how you, you can speak kooky and you can speak English and you can switch back and forth and it's your willful choice to do that? Well, you have a willful choice to access this prayer language. So I want you to make a willful choice to par- pray to God, talk to God using your new gift, right? And it was so cute. She goes back, sits down at the bench, closed her eyes, and she just started going at it. And she starts praying in tongues for like, 30 minutes, 20, 30 minutes. And then afterwards, I went up to her and I said, Jijai, how did that feel? What did you feel? And she goes, I feel electricity all over my hands. Electricity. Hallelujah, that's the Lord, amen? I mean, God did this. It was so encouraging to me because in the natural, when she went home the previous night, it looked like God didn't do nothing. And that's when we need to kick in our faith. 
Like my mentor, Pastor Benjamin, uh, said to me a couple months ago, he says, we as a people of God, we need to learn not to trust what we see, but to trust what God has said. So if God speaks out a word of prophecy, or if there's a promise in the word of God that you're claiming, you need to, you need to not trust what you see, but what he is saying. You know, and so when she went home the first night, it looked like nothing happened. It looked like she was in a lot of trouble. It looked like she'll never get delivered. But as we, as I, as I continue to press in and as other people continue to press in, in 24 hours, not only did she get delivered, she got baptized in the spirit and released in the gift of tongues and she has a stronger identity. Now she feels like she's just, you know, she's just filled with the spirit. She could do anything. She's got purpose, a plan. I mean, God just did all that in 24 hours. I call that the 24-hour breakthrough. Hallelujah. And it was just such a blessing to my heart to be a part of that. I just gave her the biggest hug, you know, and, and she just wouldn't let me go. And I, just, I just remember just hugging her and just hugging her. And I was just so happy. God is faithful, Amen. And uh, the thing was that a lot of the team, we saw several children like this manifesting. Each night there was an average of like three to five kids that were just flopping around like fish. And it wasn't the Holy Spirit kind. It was, it was demon possession kind. Um, and many times we had to send them home. Not sure, you know, whether they were fully delivered or they would go home like still, you know, kind of shaking and scared. You know? And that's when we need to trust that God will complete that which He has begun. That's when we need to trust that God is faithful. You know, we were reading uh, one of the quiet times in the, in the group quiet times we did during the trip. The Bible says, uh, when we are faithless, He is faithful because He cannot deny Himself. Um, and it's true. God... God, even when we're faithless, God cannot be anything other than faithful. It is just simply His nature. He is just so faithful. Amen? And uh, anyway, that was just such a, such a blast, just seeing Jajai. Man, she was on cloud nine. She was just so happy. Her mom was sitting next to her watching her praying in tongues. She was looking with bewilderment. You know, because the previous night, her, her, her daughter looks like she's in trouble. This night, she's just all smiles. She was, you know, it was just such a blessing to see, you know. Um, and, uh, man, there are a lot of things we could share. Um, you can listen to the Hillside Podcast for some of the other stories that I shared. Uh, I did share about our very last night in Manipur. Uh, so uh, you can tune in for that story. Uh, I, won't, I won't mention that here because I feel like I need to preach something right now. Um, but... At the very end of the trip, we left Manipur and we had to take a flight from Manipur to New Delhi and then back to Korea. And Friday morning, we flew out of Manipur after having taken dominion in that region for Jesus Christ among the Kuki people. We flew out Friday morning and we were in New Delhi waiting for our flight to Korea. And while we were in New Delhi, we heard the news that there was an earthquake Friday night in the city we had just left. A 6.4 earthquake. All right, let's throw out that. All right, this is a, a screenshot of the CNN 
uh, page. It's a real short story. The reason why it's short is because there, the, it says all the way on the bottom, there were no immediate reports of damage or injuries. One, the earthquake happens right after we leave. Two, there are no damages or injuries. Three, it's a major one, 6.4. I mean, that will get your attention. I mean, if 6.4 happened around here, this building might not survive. You know, but the, the kooky people, they build their houses on brick. It's, they're they're, they're very, very good about building a house. But man, there were no damages or injuries. Uh, I mean, what a sign onto our team. Like, to us, it was a sign. Of what took place in the spirit realm. We had shaken up Satan's strongholds in that region. Through, through the ministry of the power of the Holy Spirit. Through apostolic preaching and teaching. We just, we just, we just put the hurt on. And, and, and this sign was a sign. Just like when Jesus was crucified. You know, the Bible says there was an earthquake. And when people saw the cross, they saw Jesus defeated. They saw Jesus done. They saw Jesus' death. But that earthquake was a sign of God saying, no, this was the greatest victory that was ever recorded in human history. And, uh, and so, man, this earthquake was a real sign unto us that, that, man, God had done some amazing things while we were in India. And it was just an amazing time we had uh, there. Right now, I just feel like the Lord is uh, putting on my heart to preach uh, just a short message. Um, turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Starting from verse 11, there is the famous parable of the prodigal son. Okay, I believe that most of you may have read this passage. Alright, to sum it up. There's a younger son, the younger son and the older son. The younger son decides one day to go up to his father and say, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Pretty much saying, Father, you are as good as dead to me. Because you only get an inheritance when your father passes away. You know, so he's trying to, he takes the inheritance. He goes out to the city. He squanders it on wild living, the Bible says. And then, of course, Great famine hits the land. He grows broke. He goes homeless. He goes poor. And then he starts to um, look upon the, the stuff that pigs eat. And uh, pigs in Jewish culture by nature were unclean. Uh, Jews are not allowed to eat pork. Uh, and this, this guy, he's uh, not only with the pigs, but he's, he's longing to eat what the pigs are eating. You know, such an unclean thing in Jewish culture. And he, just, he hits this bottom... Uh, just just uh, the, the lowest place he could hit. And then he starts to think, what am I doing here among the pigs? If I go back to my father's house, you know, I can get much better food than this. Maybe if I go back to my father's house, he'll make me like one of his servants. He'll make me like one of his ser- slaves. And then I can eat better food than this. This is, this is ridiculous. So he starts to rehearse his I'm sorry speech. All right? Look at it. Check this out. Um, verse, verse 18. He says, I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, 
right? The son had the whole speech memorized because he was rehearsing it over and over. Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now remember, there's, his speech is still not done. But the Bible says, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. You know, the amazing thing is, you know, sometimes in Christianity, we get, we get caught up like um, in these uh, sinners' prayers, you know. And uh, at least in Campus Crusade for Christ, you know, we, we try to keep it real simple real transferable, so that it can be taught to other people. So we teach people how to lead people to Christ. And the most simple way to lead somebody to Christ is to lead them in a prayer called a sinner's prayer. You know, uh, Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I repent of my sin. I thank you that my sins are forgiven. I receive Jesus as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Something like that. It's like a sinner's prayer. And... In Campus Crusade, we are taught to lead people. And I've, I've led many, many people to Christ using that sinner's prayer. But if you ask some people, when you receive Christ, did you pray a prayer like that? Some people be like, no. I don't remember saying nothing like that. And then some religious people will say, well, then you ain't saved. Repeat after me this prayer and you will be saved and be born again. But what religious people don't understand is, it's not this hocus-pocus prayer that saves you and gets you to heaven. It is the faith that that prayer represents. It's the faith that saves, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. By grace you are saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. It's the faith that's important. Because some people do the sinner's prayer again and again and again. They go to Billy Graham Crusade, sinner's prayer. They go to their local retreat, sinner's prayer. They go to a Sunday where the praise is really good, sinner's prayer. I mean, they do sinner's prayer over and over again. But they don't, they, they don't have the faith that actually saves. They're just going through the cultural Christianity and hoping that they're changed somewhere along the way. But the, but the amazing thing about this story is the... This son, he has this whole I'm sorry speech re- rehearsed. It's like a sinner's prayer. He has it all rehearsed, right? And he thinks that because of what he's done, the only thing that he is worthy of, because he's not worthy, he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So father, don't even call me a son. Just make me a servant and I'll be happy. But you know what? That's how many Christians come to Christ. Because religion, when religion leads you to Christ, the focus is oftentimes on what you've done. On your sinfulness. On the wrath of God that is upon your wickedness. Upon how unworthy you are. And the, and the, and for the sake of highlighting grace, but they focus on your lack of worthiness. They just say, you are unworthy of God's love. What you are worthy of, you are worthy of the wrath of God, the judgment of God. And that's true, by the way. Those things are true. But religion will focus on that as they lead people to Christ. And sometimes that's appropriate. Like if you're dealing with a drug dealer that's unrepentant, I mean, you need to bring that person to conviction of sin. You can't just tell them God loves you and God, God cares for you. And he wants, you know, and you, know, you can't just like go get into bed with his sins. You know what I mean? You need to get him severed and repented of those sins. But many times when people are broken, people are coming to Christ and religion just focuses on, you're not worthy. 
So they go, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me a servant. And so they lead them through a sinner's prayer. And guess what? When they become a Christian, what are they stuck on? They're stuck on the identity of a servant. They act like slaves in the house, not sons. They act like orphans in the house, not sons. Why? Because in their head, they have the mantra going, I'm no longer worthy to be called a son because of what I've done. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But religion focuses on what you've done. But I'll tell you right now, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit does not focus on what you've done, but on what Christ has done. And then you can begin to say over God's people, you're really important. You're amazing. You are fabulous. You are worthy. You know, religious people, man, when they hear that, when they, when they hear us saying like, like over prophesying over people, the, God, the Lord God says, you are worthy. Religious people are in the back going, mm-mm, wrong doctrine. Wrong thing to say to a Christian. And what they don't understand is, when we prophesy that over a person that's being called into their identity as, into, into sonship, it is absolutely true. It is absolutely true. And let me define what makes a person worthy. It's a famous quote that John Piper loves to quote. He says, some things are loved because they're worthy. Like gold. Like cash. Some things are loved because they're worthy. And some things are worthy because they're loved. When we say you are worthy, that statement is absolutely true. Well, what about my sin? Well, what about your sin? Your sin has nothing to do with whether God loves you or not. Your sin isn't on the radar because the blood of Christ has truly forgiven your sin, past, present, and future. So that when we are in the Holy Spirit and when we begin to declare what heaven sees over a person, sin's not even, it's not, it's part of the old nature. And that old nature has been done away with. And, Christ, and uh, Apostle Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ so that I no longer live. There's an aspect of your old nature, it's done. It is dead. Consider it dead. Consider yourself done to that nature. Only reason we go back to our sinful patterns or living is because we come in agreement and we begin to identify with that old nature and think that this is who we are. But the Bible says, no, that is not who you are. You are a new creation. Begin to behave that way. When you don't behave that way, you're acting like a fool. You're acting like a little child. Get with the program. What the heavens are saying over the, what heaven says over you is you're a new creation. You have a new beginning. You don't have to make up for your old past mistakes. Don't focus so much on what you've done. But on what, trust what he has done. So when, when we say, Brother Chris Mitchell, you are, the Lord is saying you are worthy. No, no, the Lord is the only one worthy. He's the only one worthy. Hey, shut up, brother. <laughs> Lord says you are worthy. Because his love is on you. Because he loves you, you are of amazing worth. 
the father, when he embraces the prodigal son, he disallows him from finishing his I'm sorry speech. Why? Because the latter part of that I'm sorry speech has absolutely no truth. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me, treat me as like a hired servant, like a slave. Father doesn't even want to hear it. In fact, he doesn't care what the words of your I'm sorry speech are. He doesn't care what the words of your sinner's prayer are. What he's looking for is your heart, is your faith. Are you coming back to the house of the Father? Are you coming fully into sonship with him? And when I say sonship, I mean men and women. There's a lot of people in New Philly, they're like the prodigal son. They had a period of their life where they squandered their inheritance. And what I mean by inheritance is an aspect of time and energy and resources. And, uh, you know, in in business, you study opportunity cost. You know, there's a cost. You know, if you miss out on opportunity, that's a cost to your business. And you need to take that into consideration. Well, yeah, if you, if you waste your life in backslidden living, while living, there's an opportunity cost. And in that sense, you've squandered your inheritance. You've wasted time. You, you, could, be, you could be at a different place of your maturity and whatnot. You know? And in that sense, there are a lot of Christians that have, uh, within New Philly that, that, uh, that have squandered their inheritance. And they've had their wild living. And then they come back repentant they come back fully back into the house of the father and once they're back i mean they are back and once they are back man they serve with passion they serve with commitment i mean the ones that serve with the most commitment here in this house i would say there's a lot of people that used to do the drugs they used to deal the drugs they used to be up in the clubs like pastor marcus Like Matthew Anderson. And he's going to share his testimony on coming Friday. But one aspect of his testimony that's really amazing is a little bit before he came to New Philly, there's one Sunday in New Philly where he was, he was uh, just hit with the Father's love and he was just either on his knees, in, was it in the bathroom or near the bar stool? I was sitting in the black chairs. Uh, he was sitting in the black chairs. Just kept. Yeah, he was on down on the on his knees near the back black chairs when we were at King Bar over here. We used to worship in King Bar, by the way. And uh, he was down there, and he it just hit him that a few months or months before that, he used to be in the same bar for a different reason, you know. And uh, and you know stories like that, man. Like when when people experience that, man, they are back and they're back for good. Well, here, here's what I want to speak out over you today. This is what actually God was highlighting to me earlier. I want to talk about, I want to mention the older brother. Okay, look here with me, right? They began to celebrate, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drawn near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked, what do these things mean? And he said to him, your brother has come back. Your brother has come. Your father has killed the fat and the calf because he has received them back safe and sound. But 
the older brother was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I want to speak, I want to close with this. Look at the older brother. It's a picture of a lot of uh, Christians who grew up in the church. And many of times you probably have never identified with the older brother. But even those here at our, at our Itaewon campus in Hillside, even those who are serving on leadership, a lot of times we have a very similar attitude as the older brother. And I don't mean the aspect of where you judge that backslidden believers that are coming in, because we don't do that. We never do that. Like we, we love that. We celebrate that. But there's an aspect here that's often overlooked. It's the aspect where the over, older brother says, look at this. I've served you, never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And the father says to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. Isn't that interesting? The older son never left the house. He was always there. He was always trying to be obedient, trying to be a good son, trying to be a good Christian. But the whole time he was in the house, he had the mentality of a servant, of a slave. And when I mean servant, I mean it in a negative way, in a slave way, in an orphan way. He's in the house the whole time. And he never even got a little bit of beef for him and his friends. Why? Because he didn't think it was his. He didn't think he had access. Why? Because he was identifying himself with the servants. Because what? look at the first thing he focuses on when he complains to his father. Is look, all these years, all these years, I've served you. You know, I want to just say over each and every person here, um, if you're an active leader here at this church, and uh, I think these are policies that I'm going to plan to announce and lay down real soon. But um, as, our, as New Philadelphia grows... There's a, there's a lead pastor here. His name is Christian Lee. And he's married to a wife. Her name is Erin. And they're beautiful people. Right? <laughs> and uh, there's two of us. And there's right now about 180 of you. Right? And the more our church grows, the more difficult it will be for you to have kind of a personal access and relationship with us. And so for us to not seem like we're discriminating or being racist or being giving favoritism or treatment like that, you know. We need to have a wise way of 
who we generally give access to. We may make an exception here too, but who do we give general access to, to personal relationship with us? If we try to do it for everybody, we, we're going to end up doing it for nobody. You know, do you understand? And so, apostolic and active leaders at the church, the higher level leaders, they're going to get direct access to us. If there's five newcomers and there's two active leaders that are waiting in line to talk to me, all right, I'm going to try to talk to my active leaders. Why? If I can talk to my active leaders and empower them, they can take care of all five of the people that are newcomers. You know what I mean? And now and then I may make an exception and talk to a newcomer and things like that. But I need to be wise and strategic on how I relate to people. You know what I mean? And so if you're an active leader at the church, the good news is you have access. You have access to personal relationship with us. You want dinner with us? Okay, we'll do dinner with you. If you're a newcomer, you can ask for dinner, but it might take about five or six months. I don't know. Whenever the active leaders are not able to, we'll try to you know, make time for that. But we're going to give priority to the, to the leaders in the house. Why? Because the leaders is going to trickle down. The anointing is going to flow from the top down. The leaders are empowered. They're doing a much more effective and efficient job of reaching the whole body of Christ. And if you're a member of the church, you have access... You have access to all the active leaders. Okay? So Lydia and Megan and Eunice, you have access to them. If you are a brother, you have access to Pastor Marcus and John Michael. All right? You know, people, you got to go to brothers. Brothers should dare only go to brothers. You know? Um, and there's access. And here, let me try to get at what I'm trying to get at. All right? Here's the thing. The people that have access, you need to understand that you have access. Meaning like, you're like slaving away on the welcoming team, the service team, and you're just like slaving away, slaving away. You're not slaving away, but you're serving faithfully, serving faithfully. Don't think of yourself as slaving away. You're already in the wrong mentality. You're doing that, and then, and then, um, and then you see like, I don't know, sister... Uh, you know, you see uh, Sister Diane Wheat, right? And Sister Diane Wheat's just like talking to me after one of the services, and I'm just giving her a hug, and I'm prophesying over her, and she's she's getting blasted by the Holy Spirit. She's crying, she's getting ministered to, and you're over there taking out the trash for the service team, and you're looking over, and you're like, oh, I wish I had that. And then the devil starts to lie to you. The leaders of the church don't care for you. Look at you. You're doing all this work for them. But they don't care for you. They won't even, they won't, they're not going to give any time for you. You don't, you don't matter to them. You don't mean anything to them. And then, and then you go through a tough week and you start to believe these lies. You know what I mean? And then I come up to you or one Sunday, you know, I'm like greeting Zach. And I got... Straight eye contact with Zach. I'm headed towards Zach. But you're kind of nearby. And you think I'm headed towards you. And I, I, just, I just accidentally bump you. Like Korean. I do my style and I go to Zach and I give Zach a hug. And you just like, oh, you see that? Pastor Christian doesn't care for me. He doesn't even notice me. He didn't even see me. 
And all it was was I just liked what Zach was wearing that day. And I was just engaged to give Zach a hug. But you start to believe these lies and you start to think, I don't have access. As a Christian, he, he, look, he didn't show up for my birthday party. I had joint prayer meeting. What was I supposed to do, you know? But hey, he didn't show up. Even if we didn't have joint prayer, he wouldn't have shown up. And he started believing these lies. And the thing is, you start acting like slaves and orphans when in fact you have sonship in the house. You have sonship. You know, and that's why it's very important uh, we emphasize membership because we really can't give those privileges of membership to just everybody who attends. I mean, we've got to know that you are committed. We've got to know that you are in a serious commitment, which is called a covenant. We, 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 we have you covenant with the church. And you know, I know some of y'all, there's a lot of people at 81 that are eager to do it, but we have to wait for late March at the next membership class. I know y'all are eager to do it. Look, I consider you family already, all right? But, but, but check this out. Like, for those who are still teetering and just, just kind of church hopping, you need to understand that there, we need to differentiate. We, we, you know, we, we will make an exception here and there. But generally, we need to learn how to prioritize who we are going to give access to. Because we absolutely cannot do that for everybody. Right? And so if you are a member of the church, you have access is what I'm saying. You have access to every core value of this church. You have access to every blessing in this church. You have access to mission trips and all the mission trip blessings, like all the, like the fire falling, like Mark. I like Mark. I like Susie. You know why? Because when we were in small group in India, this is what Susie and Mark said. They said, I've seen the New Philly leaders, when they minister at the altar, people start falling down under the fire of God. When people, when the leaders lay hands on people, I see people physically healed. I want that during this trip. Why? Because they have sonship. They see themselves as sons of the house. So they know they have access, even though they don't have it yet. See, a lot of people that don't have it yet, they, they may be tempted to think, oh, that's not for me. That's for them, but not for me. That's an orphan spirit. Spirit of sonship says, no, it's just a matter of time until I have what this house has. And I'm telling you right now, man, this house has a lot of good stuff. We have a lot of good, amazing ministry and fruit going for this church. We have amazing core values. There's an amazing apostolic grace here. And when you become a member of church, you have access. When you become a reserve leader, you have greater access. When you, have, when you become an active leader, you start to have access with the apostolic leaders and with Pastor Christian and myself. I mean, oh, Aaron and myself. <laughs> I just came back from India last night. I didn't get my seat for the last three days. Um, so, yeah, what I'm trying to say is identify yourself as a son. And you know what? You can even be a, you can be a visitor who, who is uh, moving in sonship. Like these ECF sisters that are from Melbourne, Australia, that, that went to, on missions with us to the Philippines. When they come into New Philly, they don't come in like visitors. They come in like they own the place. <laughs> They've been listening to our podcasts. They've been checking out our website. They've been watching the missions videos coming out. And they come in and they're like, Pastor Christian, whatever you got, I need. Whatever you have, give it to me. Prophecy, give it to me. Blessing, give it to me. Pray for me. Pray for me. And they, they start pulling it out. That's like 
that's like not your typical visitor, you know? But I'm saying even as a visitor, if you will move out in sonship, you can access all that. You don't have to think, I, don't, I can't get a fattened calf. My father doesn't care for me. He just orders me to do this and do that. I'm telling you right now, that's not the nature of God. What the prodigal son is showing us is the nature. It's not really showing us the story of a son that wandered off and came back. It's showing us the nature of the father. And when he relates to the younger son and when he relates to the older son, what you are seeing is the heart and the character and the righteousness of the father. And the father is gracious. The father is so good. The father doesn't say to the older son, Man, stop being stupid. Hurry up and come in. For I give you more chores to do. I mean, he doesn't do that. He speaks gentleness, gently with the, with the older son. Son. Doesn't call him servant. Doesn't call him, hey. Calls him son. What are you doing, man? What are you doing, son? All that I have is yours. When, there's a missionary named Heidi Baker to Mozambique, and she always shares this story. I think this is like what she shares every time she preaches. But she always shares about how there's all these orphans that she's taking in off the street. And, and her and Roland lets these orphans live in her house. You know, they can only take so many, but they, they'll have like a handful of orphans living in the house at one time. And whenever they bring in a new orphan and they observe the behavior of the new orphan, the new child that comes in, it's always distinguishable from the other children that have been in, in the house much longer. Because the new kids that come in, they're just like so scared to even go from one room to another. They go to sleep maybe without a blanket because they don't, they think they don't, they can't get one. And then she always says, talks about the refrigerator. She says the new orphan kids, they're just kind of sit there and maybe go to like find water from, you know, some sink somewhere. And then the, uh, because they're Americans, you know, they have a fridge, they have a real diesel fridge. I'm sure it's a real big one. And, uh, but the kids that have been in the house for a long time, you know what they do? They just go up to the fridge. They just open it. They touch all the drinks. And then they just, they just, I don't know, they just take whatever they want from the fridge. Why? Why, why, why the other, other kids are like, well, what are you doing? You're stealing. What are you doing? This, you know, and they're, they're so petrified. But the kids that have been in the house much longer, they know that all of the Father's belongings is theirs. And so, you know, I, I'm just sharing this to uh, establish sonship here at Itaewon. I know that many of you um, hear these testimonies. You hear about demonic possession. What the heck is that? You hear about like fire falling. You hear about people shaking on the ground. What is that? But most of you don't have that kind of background. And you start to think, when, and you, you like the church for whatever reason. You like this person, you like that person, or you like the worship, or you like whatever. And that's why you like Pastor Christian, that's why you come. But, but you start to think, oh, that's for them, not for me. Don't think that way. If you're in this house, and you're, 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 gonna, you're, you're committed and you stay in this house, but even if you're a visitor, you want to identify yourself as a son, but you can get access to everything that the Father has for you. Let's close our eyes right now. I just want to pray for a couple people. The Lord is highlighting for me right now.
Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm just going to pray real briefly, but I just want to pray for a couple people right now. Audrey, let me get you on the keyboard. Hallelujah. Sonship, sonship, sonship. Thank you, Jesus. I just feel like the Lord is... The Lord is saying... Um, There's an older brother and a younger brother here in Itaewon. There's like a great example of a younger and older brother that are both walking in sonship. And their names are Marcus and Mark. If you want to see model sonship, just look at them. Look at the way they relate to the leaders of the house. Look at the way that they Worship. Look at the way they pray. I'm not saying that other leaders here don't have sonship, but I'm saying the Lord is just highlighting these two. If you want an example of sonship, if you want to get an example of how a son behaves, how a son thinks, just look upon Marcus and Mark. Marcus and Mark. Hallelujah. That's what the Lord is saying. That's what the Lord is saying. Don't focus on the fact that I'm a sinner. And because I'm a sinner, I sinned. This past week, I did this and that. And dwell there. And condemn yourself. And disqualify yourself. And begin to identify yourself with the things that you, you did wrong. Turn the music up a little more. That's not where God wants you to stay. God is calling out the new nature in you. The new identity that He's established inside of you through the blood of His Son, Jesus. When He sees you, He doesn't see the old nature. He doesn't see the old man. He sees the new man. And He says over you, You are worthy in my sight. You are covered not only forgiven, but you are covered and robed in righteousness. Something that my son paid to give you. You're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy. Chris, come up here. Man. Chris. I think your name is Liz. Liz. Could you come up here for a second? I just want to pray for you and bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Chris, I just feel like the Lord is saying, The spirit of sonship is all over you. And God has taken this season to take you deeper into the meaning of sonship. And there are things that you're going to begin to move in. 
like the like the prophetic gifts, supernatural gifts. You're gonna begin to move and access that, not through just studying, teaching after teaching, although that's gonna contribute to it, but through your identity as you identify yourself as a son of this house, as you identify yourself. Like some of these active leaders that you see around you, as you see, as they see, as you do, as they do, the Lord is establishing sonship in you, Chris. And Lord, I just pray for Chris right now, God. I just decree and declare that everything here in this house, everything that our church has been pushing in, pressing in, fighting for, contending for, the fire, the healings. The deliverance, the character, the apostolic graces, Lord, everything that this church has been has been contending for and has been established in, everything that is in this house, I just decree and declare that Chris has full access to it. He has full access to it, and even the gift of tongues. I just feel like Chris. I just feel like the Lord wants to affirm you and say, you already have it. Just have to move in it. Exercise it. Flow in it like water flows out of you. The word of God says in John 7, 38, Whoever searches, let him come to me and drink. And the scripture has said, out of his belly will flow rivers, rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. And when you pray, when you pray in tongues, let those rivers flow out of you. And you don't have to wait a year. You don't have to wait until the membership class. It's accessible now. Because identity is not a formality. Identity is simply seeing yourself as heaven sees you. Seeing yourself through the eyes of God the Father. Yeah, Lord. I just thank you so much, Father. I just see Chris doing amazing things for your glory. I just see him rising up as a powerful, as a powerful leader, as a mighty warrior, as one who intercedes and prays with prophetic gifts, with precision, with boldness and authority, God. I just see him just rising up, rising up, rising up, weapons of warfare in his hands, the armor of God, just, just fully clothed in the armor of God, as a mighty warrior, a mighty warrior. I just declare him to be a mighty warrior. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. I just pray for our sister Liz right now. Liz, I just I just sense the Lord. Um, he wants to sing over you. And uh, the song that comes to mind is there's a Matt Redman song called the uh, the Father's Song. Yeah, it's like that. The Lord just, He rejoices over you with singing. He loves you. You're fully accepted, fully loved. Father, I just pray for my sister Liz right now. And I just establish her. Where this was maybe something that her identity issues were kind of tough to kind of get a grasp of and 
tough to try to really own. Right now, I pray by the grace of God that she be established in her identity in Christ. In all the various aspects of identity in Christ, she would have revelations of in these next few months, God. You would just speak to her out of your word. You would speak to her out of sermons. You would speak to her out of books. You would speak to her through conversation with other people, God. Highlighting and revealing various aspects of identity in Christ. And today I just declare her as a son. As a son. Yeah, that's what I mean by son. I mean son as a, as a son who has inheritance rights. The devil is telling you, you don't have access. The devil is telling you, you're a nobody. The devil might tell you, you know, you should just use shame and try to accuse you. The accuser of the brethren. That's what Satan is. He's a liar. He's a liar. The Lord is saying, you have full access. All of heaven's resources. You have keys to open those doors. Not only for yourself, but for others. And that's what it's all about. Once you experience it for yourself and get blessed, He wants you to be blessed to be a blessing to others. Blessing to the nations. Your calling, your purpose, Liz, is not just local. It's global. It's for nations. It has to deal with nations. So Father, I just pray for Liz, Lord. Pray that she will not get lost in all the mindsets and strongholds of the world. But she will be established strong in your presence as one who identifies herself with the perspective of heaven. And I just declare the gold that's inside of her, Lord. There's so many gifts, so many things, God. The kingdom of God is in you. It's in seed form, but it's in, it's in you. Oh, hallelujah. And I just pray right now this day. I just speak words that are like water to her seed. The seed of the kingdom resident inside of her. And I just pray. One hundredfold fruit will come forth. Thank you Jesus. I bless her Lord. I bless her Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. Uh, anyone in here that. Um, just in general you're struggling. With kind of an orphan spirit. You're struggling with that kind of older brother mentality. Uh, you feel smited. You feel forgotten. You feel like the, the leaders of this house don't really care for you. Yeah, you can take your seat. Um, I just want to pray a brief prayer over you. Just stand up if that's you. If you're like struggling with that. If you're struggling with that. You're like, John Michael doesn't care for me. <laughs> Sonia, when she does the welcoming thing, she doesn't care for the, for the newcomers. She doesn't care for me. I'm always forgotten. And, and even, even when you fellowship after service, it affects your behavior because you're standing around and you just, you just feel, you just hear, whisper, hear the whispers of the devil saying, nobody wants to talk to you. Nobody cares for you. And these are lies. These are lies. But if you're struggling with that, I just want to pray for you. Stand up to your feet if that's you. Lord, I just pray right now, God. I just pray for all six people that are standing right now. I just speak 
Romans 8.15 over them right now. God has not given you a spirit that makes you a slave. God has not given you a spirit that makes you a slave to fear. But he's given you the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. God, I just decree and declare over every person standing. I declare that they are important. I declare that they are loved. I declare that they have access. I declare, hallelujah, that they have a purpose and a plan. A purpose and a plan that the people here and the leaders of New Philly, we want to help them to access, hallelujah, those plans and purposes. We want to come around them and encourage them, affirm them. Not just six, but all seven people who are standing now. I just pray for all seven people, Lord. Break off the spirit, the orphan spirit. Break off that slave mentality. Break off just, bring them out of just the, the heart and the, the identity of a servant. Bring them into friendship with God. Bring them into intimacy with this house, Lord. I break the orphan spirit off of them. And I just speak life, purpose, wholeness. Hallelujah. And I just decree and declare that you will not stay where you are at right now. But you will increase in skill and in understanding. You will increase in the knowledge of God. You will increase, hallelujah, in your spiritual experiences, your supernatural experiences that you see other people experiencing and you have yet to experience, you will experience. Because it's already in you. Because the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Sonship, He's in you. And He's a supernatural Spirit. He is a miracle-working Spirit. He is a healing Spirit. The Holy Spirit, He's already in you. It's in you already. But there's just things that are out of order. And right now, I pray that they be established in order. So that their true nature may come forth. The true nature... The one that is created in true righteousness and holiness. The new nature come forth. Hallelujah. I bless them, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can take your seats. All right. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.